Welcome to Wise Health for Women Radio with Linda Prater. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more, often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. Each week with intriguing guests and topics, we'll bring you fresh ways to view your limited time, encouraging a shift to new, healthier perspectives. Wise Health for Women Radio, helping women thrive. And now here's your host, Linda Prater. Good morning. We are so very happy that you have joined us this morning. We have a topic today that touches nearly every family that I know of and may touch yours. And we're going to be talking to Angie Swetland today about navigating the dementia journey. She's written a book that I started last night and I'm taken with called I Know You By Heart. And it talks about stories of the individuals who are going through the journey of Alzheimer's. 5.8 million Americans right now are living with Alzheimer's or related dementia. And for this show, we'll probably end up using dementia because there are several different kinds. And we're just talking about the conditions that it manifests. And each individual has their own story. And as many of you know, I work with veterans and their caregivers, and it falls into a large number of mostly the Vietnam veterans and their caregivers. Each of the caregivers and families have their own stories too. You have your own stories and your family stories. And so we're so happy to welcome Angie Swetland to our program this morning. Angie, welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I think this is such an important topic because it is touching most everyone. We are living longer. We are having some of these conditions. Uh, I, I even know some with early onset Alzheimer's. And there are many, many people who are walking this road and feeling very lonely at this point. And I think for even those with the disease, they're very aware we have family members who have been affected. We are all affected. And the love for that person does not go away. Their love for you does not go away. And there are some unifying principles. But what I love most about your book that I've gotten in so far is that there's such love and compassion in everything that you write. We don't lose them in, in a fell swoop. And there's a quote that's early on in the book that I absolutely love and I have to read. And it says, to love someone is to learn their song and sing it to them when they have forgotten. That's by Arne Garborg. And that just touched me. So can you explain how you came to be in this business of, of elder care and especially um, navigating the dementia journey? And what made you write the book? Okay. Well, quite simply, I was in college and thought that um, in social services I was majoring in, mm -hmm. um, I wanted to work with teenagers. And so <laughs> I had, I had a I'm work sorry, experience. but that is hilariously funny. I, yes. So I had a work experience working with teenagers and I realized that they made me um, dreadfully impatient. Um, their con their concerns seemed um, seemed like something I've I couldn't help them with. Um, 
And um, then I did volunteer work with the elderly and just fell in love. That That's all there was to it. Um, and I often warn some of the people that I mentored um, throughout my career that who thought they were starting to work with the elderly as a short-term gig, um, that is, <laughs> be careful, you'll fall in love. And, um, and I was right 90% of the time. Um, elders um, have so much to give and um, they have so much patience and, um, and grace, I guess, for living. Um, and then I began to work with those who had memory loss just in the natural course of my work. I started in um, activities now called recreation therapy or life enrichment in a nursing home. Mm-hmm. Um, and encountered people with dementia and realized early on that I had a natural affinity for them. I'm just drawn to them. And in fact, being with them centers me and calms me, which is interesting, but I'm not the only person Mm -hmm. (laughs) by any means who has that same experience. Um, When you're working with someone with dementia, you are focusing on their feelings, not their words. Um, And if you have the capacity to um, be empathetic, it's a very marvelous group of individuals to have the um, honor to work with. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started working with the elders and ended my career in a corporate position overseeing a number of um, different aspects of elder care for a very large organization, um, which now has over 50 elder care campuses, doing everything from Meals on Wheels to in people's own homes down to nursing homes. And um, one of the pleasures that I had during that time was creating helping to create and um, sort of shepherding, championing from the corporate perspective, our memory care program in assisted living in nursing homes. I loved doing that. I loved, I mostly taught um, and created the curriculum, um, which was later used by the Alzheimer's Association and Leading Age of Minnesota as well. Mm -hmm. The, The curriculum to teach these individuals when I retired, um, I, I started volunteering and working with family caregivers. Now, of course, when you're in the field, in the business, you work with family caregivers all the time, but you're the professional and you're the expert. And those people generally lived in one of our buildings. So we had a very different relationship. Talking with family caregivers um, as a volunteer um, and being a family caregiver for my own um, mother Mm -hmm. um, and my grandmother, both of whom had dementia, they just added a whole different layer of of feeling and learning for me. Mm -hmm. And what I realized, honestly, is how ill-equipped so many family members are to, to, to see their family member that they love so dearly through this disease. 
and the losses that that come with it, mm-hmm. how little information they have. And looking around at other resources, there are some marvelous, extraordinary resources out there for family caregivers. But there a are, number of but them are- it's not always easy to access. I think there's also uh, a reluctance sometimes to believe that, oh my goodness, this is what we are facing. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the reluctance can almost come in the form of denial. And um, there, there are phases. It's a grieving. It's a loss. And I, I do agree with you. One of the things that also struck me is that you said the, the body may fail and the mind may wander, but the spirit is intact and it's in there. And I think in, in some ways, those lucid moments, they bring hope that is later dashed, but, but it still shows that they're in there. And that is a lovely thing to catch a glimpse of that. Would you agree or disagree with that? Oh, no, I, I, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. And um, the impetus for the book was part of what I wanted to do was write something also that was short because mm-hmm. I feel like some of the other references out there are intimidating in their length and their language. So we have to speak about this in an approachable manner. And actually we have to, we have to speak about it in a compassionate manner. Yes. Um, that, that touches people. And, and that's how we want to approach the way we care for those that we're caregivers for, but it's also, it's also, it's what they need. Um, so it's how we learn as well. It is. And I think that, um, in many societies, I loved how you said elders earlier, because elders in many societies are revered. They, in multi-generational households, in some societies, they still are, um, in certain cultures, they still are. But let's face it, when you move into a caregiving situation at a later stage, it is also a very, very grueling thing to take care of. And I I think we can't minimize that caregiving itself is, is a very hard but loving and compassionate calling for people. And it is not something everyone has which is why it's important to surround the person you love with others who do have that ability to speak with empathy and compassion. And, and, and the logistics are important too. So there's a role for everyone. And I love how right. you talked about that, 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 just that, there's a role for the families. Right, um, family members, even if your loved one is living in a memory care community, mm-hmm. you're still the primary caregiver. Um, often a family member is almost always uh, the primary individual because they're, the responsibility never leaves you. Um, and and that, that's a burden. It's, it's a blessing and a burden. Yes, and I would say caregiving on the whole is a blessing and a burden. But I also love how you paired that with compassion for our elders. And I, I think that 
um, those things are hard to remember sometimes. But if we can, um, that this temporary caregiving, we are all going to need or be a caregiver someday. And there but for the grace of God go we. So with that, we are coming on our first break. And we will come back and talk further with Angie about navigating this dementia journey and the good, the bad, and the ugly. And because we want you to walk away with practical facts and, and good thoughts and uplift. We'll be right back. We're Wise as Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. a secret? Apparently most women can't. According to a London study, on average, a woman can only keep a secret for about 32 minutes. One in ten women quiz said they'd had a falling out with a friend over letting secrets slip. Plastic surgery, people involved in dalliances, canoodling, and relationship problems topped the list shared in Hugger Mugger. Do the Britons gossip more than Americans? Probably not, but they certainly read more tabloids. What's a word for the enjoyment of reading about another's troubles? Schadenfreude. A quidnunc is another word for a gossip. And Alice Roosevelt Longworth said it best at a dinner party. If you can't say something good about someone, sit right here by me. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and Words You Never Heard has been brought to you by the Variatic Surgery Center of Dallas. Welcome back. I think we all recognize that the the procedure of going from uh, living at home independently to possibly assisted living to eventually a memory care unit may come at different times for, for people and it may not follow a pattern at all. Um, people may stay at home and live at home and have care at home and, and others may have a more dramatic uh, switch during uh, periods of time. I do know that during COVID, so many people were affected, are affected by the protocols. And I'm, I'm not talking about New York. I, I don't want us to get into that. Um, I think we all recognize the issues that, that where mistakes were made, etc. But what I am talking about is the isolation that suddenly became prevalent for people who were in memory care units, et cetera, that you could see them through a window initially, and then later on, not at all, and then across the table, but you can't touch. And then now that vaccinations are becoming more prevalent, once those are administered to everyone, you can now hug again. And I think there's something so healing about both touch and talk in person that is lost online. And I think especially for our elders in this situation, would you agree? Oh, 100%, 100%. You, you top that with the fact that the um, Skype and Zoom um, calls, FaceTime, whatever you use, mm-hmm. 
um, is not a technology that's accessible intellectually to people who have progressed very far along the mm-hmm. dementia spectrum. And uh, so, you know, the staff may be very good about bringing an, an iPad into a resident's room and, and asking them to engage, but they may not, because of visual changes that occur along with dementia mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their cognition, they may not even be able to focus on that screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it is, as you've said, it's often touch that that brings um, that brings us together. Mm-hmm. And so absent that, it's been very difficult. You mentioned knowing people with um, young onset um, mm-hmm. dementia. I have a friend who's 54 mm-hmm. and she was diagnosed at 49 and mm. she's currently in a nursing home. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a group of us. Uh, she actually was our, our um, accompanist for a choir I'm in. And there's a group of us who took turns visiting her so that besides her husband, there were people there and we would sing with her. And, and all of that has been lost. And even still I'm vaccinated. She's vaccinated. Mm -hmm. She's actually had COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, Her husband's still the only essential caregiver allowed to visit. And See, I, I'm a huge believer that music is an enormous unifier and memories that go very far back because I sing also with my church group and we carol at Christmas time. And you'll go in and into a retirement home or a assisted living home or memory care units and people will be sitting very quietly, head drooping, and you'll start to sing Christmas carols or other music that they recognize and they perk up. And they know the words. And I think there's something, again, about new faces and the stimulus of that that helps. And I I agree. I think these are some of the saddest things that have have occurred to uh, our elderly population during this year plus of of protective uh, behavior. Yes, and I I have a little story. I went with a group of staff to Christmas caroling in the memory care unit mm-hmm. um, a few years ago, and one of the residents stood up and started directing us. Oh, uh, I love it. She had been a director. director. <laughs> yeah, so we talked about vocational skills and using remaining strengths and, you know, afterwards said, how can you – let her use this gift because she had it right. And she, she pointed to the men when they were supposed to sing, you know, a little desk can at the bottom. And she, I mean, she, she knew and she cut us off and we just all followed her. Um, oh, I so love it. That, that was a remaining strength that she had. But back to COVID, we've got people living in their own homes, mm-hmm. caring for a loved one that used to have volunteers come in mm-hmm. to sit with Harvey while, while, you know, Mary went out to the grocery store or went out for coffee with a friend. Right. All of those sort of supports or many of them have just been completely lost mm-hmm. during this season that we are living through. Um, so on so many levels, caregivers have had 
we've all had it tough. Caregivers have had almost an unbearable burden. Um, and I don't, you don't hear a lot of focus on that, I don't think. Um, well, no, it, there are 64 million caregivers in the United States right now. Not all for dementia or Alzheimer's, but there are a lot of caregivers that you're right. It doesn't get enough attention. Right. Right. I have a question for you. When you talked about using remaining strengths, you discovered the choir director in that visit. But is there a way to... um, almost go through uh, a checklist kind of thing to, to determine what are some of the remaining strengths? What are we missing? Because we're so keen on addressing the needs and maybe not the wants. And we're not trained. Most of us are not trained to know how to cue some of the remaining strengths unless they show up like that woman did, which gives you something to work with which strikes me as really helpful if you can tap into and know the remaining strengths or how to grow them as much as possible or to maintain them as long as possible. Well, that's exactly right. And that's why remembering that when we're talking about individuals, it's not just their emotional, physical, mental uh, spiritual well-being, we also have to consider vocational well-being. Mm-hmm. So what is it that they did in their life? And, you know, one of the basic activities that we have for many people is just a basket full of socks, red mm. socks, mm-hmm. yellow socks, green socks, polka dot socks, no mm-hmm. two pair the same. And people will sit and pair socks. Mm-hmm. Now, that's an activity they may have engaged with their whole life, helping to set the table, whatever it is. That's a simple thing. You may need memory care, but you may still have um, access to information that it, that has been in your brain for 40 or 50 years. Mm-hmm. So retired math teacher, and we were working in this community with a high school, and pairing people up um, with high school students um, to provide a service activity for these students. And someone suggested that this gentleman living in memory care, because memory care residents were not typically involved in this, might be able to tutor students in geometry, which was his love, right? Right. So, so with a geometry book in front of him, a textbook, uh-huh. he successfully tutored many high school students. Oh, that gives me goosebumps. It, it's, it, that's an example of using his vocation. And mm-hmm. um, we had an architect. We gave him a drawing table. We gave him all the tools of his trades, the compass and the rulers and the, and the paper and the pencils. And, and he sat and drew and he drew all day long. Now, over time, his art, his architecture 
real drawings, this, you know, became less and less mm -hmm. um, good for a lack of a better word. Precise, they, they precise, not, right. They were not precise and they, and they were not certainly usable, mm -hmm. but we would still hang them up. Well, he noticed this gentleman that other people were coming the nurse would come on to the floor and hand out paychecks every other Friday. Oh. And he said, why aren't I getting paid? I'm working all day. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and, and so they created some checks and they gave him a paycheck. Oh, and, such affirmation. I love it. And he saved the paychecks. And he would give them back after he had four of them. He'd say, now deposit these. And of course, they weren't real paychecks, but it was, it was, that's what we call a therapeutic fib. Okay. Okay. It, it's, it's, it's not the truth, but there's truth in it. Okay. Mm -hmm. The truth is he was worthy and his work was worthy. Boy, the compassion, the efforts and the extra mile that you just explained with those little vignettes is extraordinary. Well, you know, um, that's what great caregiving is, is just, is just trying to find that one, some people call it the one extra. What can we do? What's one extra we can do um, to add value to this individual's, not just life a day moment so if someone used to paint or to draw um you're suggesting you know give them the tools of the trade and see if it resonates is that an example that is an example that's that's a perfect example i'll go one step further when it comes to art mm -hmm. there are some wonderful programs um that work in Local universities sometimes participate and, and local museums. Okay. Um, and there are some therapies that are art therapies that are specific and used in dementia care communities. People who have lost their inhibitions due to damage to their frontal lobe sometimes discover amazing talent that has not Angie, we've got to go we're going on next break we'll be right back all right we're wise health for women radio and we'll return after these short messages was growing up in Wisconsin, no matter how frigid it was outside, my Uncle Bob never seemed to get cold. He would come in from the snow wearing a t-shirt and remark how fresh it was outside. Then again, folks from Wisconsin are a pretty hardy bunch. As America's official dairy state, the cows have been known to give ice cream instead of milk when the temperatures drop. What's a word for a giant snowball that is formed by rolling a smaller one through a field of snow? hog -a dog Megla is an old Scots word meaning to trudge laboriously through the snow. And mufflements is an old Lancashire word for thick, warm, insulating clothes and gloves. Don't forget that you shouldn't try and send text messages if you're standing out in the cold. It can lead to hypothermia. Ty 
It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's words you never heard. Next time you fly, keep in mind a few things the pilot will never tell you. Pilots tell passengers what they need to know, and not the things that are going to scare the pants off them. Pilots would never say, one of our engines has just failed. Instead, they'll say, one of our engines is indicating improperly. What's a word for the deliberate misuse of words? Parasology. I spoke with a pilot who admitted some FAA rules didn't make sense to them either. For instance, when we're callahooting along at 500 miles an hour at 40,000 feet in a plane that could hit turbulence at any minute, flight attendants can walk around serving hot coffee. But when we're on the ground on a flat piece of asphalt going 5 to 10 miles an hour, they've got to be buckled in like a NASCAR driver. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back. I think that there have been some instances that have made... um, the caregiving and and we talked about the effects of COVID, but I think something so simple as being administered, for example, a COVID test or a vaccination or something that is outside the norm of everyone's everyday life can bring on really high stress reactions. And when that happens, I know that there is a sense of helplessness as caregivers, even though there are medical professionals that are working with people, but you hate to see your loved one in a point of extraordinary stress for any reason, whether it's dehydration, which can exacerbate symptoms and is very common, uh, or if it's something like a shot or a COVID test that doesn't make any sense when somebody sticks something up your nose, So can you talk a bit about those sorts of things that are out of the ordinary that do cause reactions that are also out of the ordinary? Yes, I'd be happy to. We we sometimes refer to those sorts of incidents as catastrophic reactions where um, it's, it is, it is an, a huge response or an out of, um, out of the norm response to a simple stimulus. So um, something that anyone else would, you know, just roll with and it can cause what we call a catastrophic reaction where someone mm-hmm. just escalates and they escalate very, very quickly. And it's very hard for individuals to know what to do mm-hmm. when that happens. So then we talk about the five R's and these five R's are in use in all kinds of situations, not just with elders with dementia, but with um, younger people who have severe anxiety, Mm -hmm. um, perhaps with um, autistic uh, individuals, individuals, excuse me, who, who are on the spectrum. On the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And, and so those five R's is the first thing we have to do is remain calm and remember that people with dementia in particular respond to the emotions of others. Right. It's almost like they're, they have a heightened 
um, sense of how other people are feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, the words don't matter as much to because words are lost. The meaning of words, both receptive and expressive aphasia occur, but they do respond to people's body language and mood. So remain calm and respond to their feelings. The thing I hate most is when somebody says, you shouldn't feel that way. Oh, the, the you'd should or you shouldn't. No, the shoulding is just got to go. It's got to go. When, when, I couldn't, when I couldn't get access to a vaccine and I'm mm-hmm. almost 69 and there are reasons in my life why I needed this. Mm-hmm. Um, and someone said, oh, you should just be happy for those who have it. You know, I, I just, it's almost <laughs> snap. Anyway, um, it, 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 you, you need to respond to their feelings. I see you're anxious. I s- see this upsets you. I understand this is upsetting. So you want to respond to feelings because negating those feelings is not going to work for you. Um, and then move quickly past that because you don't want to escalate those feelings to reassuring. And it's going to be okay. This, this is fine. I'm here and I'm not leaving. Mm-hmm. And whatever it is that you need to say to reassure and redirect it's very easy often to redirect someone's attention to something else. Mm-hmm. Now, it is not that easy to redirect someone when you're sticking a swab up their nose. Uh, no. Uh, but but um, I've seen this with bathing. For whatever reason, hygiene is an issue with many people with dementia. And getting them in a tub or a shower is very, very challenging. Mm-hmm. But... Um, we had a nursing assistant who would, using music again, sing. And the resident was so distracted by the singing that you she could be bathed. Hmm. So you find something that can redirect their attention or you just say, oh, look over there. Look at that. Do you see that? And And point at something that might draw their attention away. Mm-hmm. And then... If necessary, if necessary, because sometimes these people really do blow up, you remove any people or things that might be at risk. Um, mm-hmm. If somebody's swinging a cane <laughs> around, you need to get all the other people away, and you might even have to leave yourself. And then return. So the five R's, they are remain calm, respond to feelings, reassure and redirect, remove and return. These catastrophic reactions generally blow over fairly quickly Mm -hmm. because one of the reasons is whatever the antecedent is, whatever the cause of the behavior was, remember that these people are good at forgetting. Mm Uh, so they w- will forget what it was that had them upset. Um, so as long as they're in a calm environment, they should um, back down fairly quickly. And then you look, if this is a behavior that happens um, fairly often, you have to look at what happened right before they escalated. What was the behavior? Was it 
anger? Was it yelling? Was it hitting? Was it sometimes biting, scratching? Or was, and then what is the consequence? Because sometimes the consequence is just something we can live with. Now you bring up a point that I think needs raising. While the elder or the person with dementia is good at forgetting, the caregivers are often not. And it's very difficult not to take things personally or to have it accumulate over time and be very detrimental to the caregiver who feels as though I wish I could have, I should have, I, um, I failed. I, there, I mean, we all care so much that I think sometimes uh, we wish we could forget some of those things and redirect our own thoughts. So there is a special kind of personal compassion that is essential to remaining a caregiver. And it's not easy to find um, within yourself sometimes. And so do you have encouraging words for caregivers who find themselves in a situation that was just very dramatic, but they feel bereft at what just happened? Well, they, they feel bereft and they may also feel guilty uh, that they somehow caused it. And so there's so many emotions that mm -hmm. uh, poor, that caregivers go through when these kinds of situations occur and they feel mm -hmm. helpless and, yes. um, and, and uh, because their primary goal is caregiving and they feel they've failed and they don't know how to prevent it from happening again. I think having compassion for yourself is terribly, terribly important. But I also think um, that uh, joining a support group is one of the best ways to provide yourself with self-care. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I, there are lots of support groups out there. The Alzheimer's association is it's, it's in every state and they have lists. Um, I, I do one that's not, a, not on the Alzheimer's Association list through my church. Mm -hmm. So faith communities have support groups. Yes. There are many places where you can go to to find um, a support group to attend um, every week, every month, what it, whatever is offered. Um, and some people participate in more than one in order to get the support they need. Also, now that things are getting a bit better um, with, uh, with COVID, respite care. Mm -hmm. Respite is care is, a, is, is such a mixed blessing for people um, because some are, are seeking it and others feel guilty taking it. And so it's, it's a mixed bag depending on on where you fit into that spectrum. And being a caregiver is one of the toughest things you'll ever do. As you put it earlier, it's a blessing, but it's also a burden. And recognizing it as both is practicing that self-compassion part. And you're right about support groups. Um, that does help, and faith communities. And, and being able to talk, I think not being able to see people in person has also put the kibosh on a lot of that because, I'm sorry, Zoom just doesn't have the engagement level that a hug does. 
And so I'm, I'm hoping that that comes back fairly quickly um, now that the vaccinations are, are more widespread. But I, I think we're back to touch and talk and real people versus screens. Yes, yes, and, and I do think that if anxiety is um, pervasive in the individual with dementia, you also need to speak to the, your physician about um, medical mm -hmm. solutions. Mm -hmm. um, people are reluctant to do that. They don't like to see, um, see the emotions of their loved one diminished in any way, mm -hmm. but uh, it can be an important solution. It's a very good solution. Uh, they, uh, my background is actually pharmaceutical development, and, and these drugs were absolutely created for situations such as this to minimize the catastrophe, the catastrophic reactions, and to, to come and give a higher quality of life for not only the patient, but for those who are around them so that there can be um, less reaction and more responsiveness. So at any rate, we're coming on our final break, and we will come back and talk further about solutions, resources, how to find help, and how to how to cope and and move along the spectrum and the continuum of care for someone with dementia and how to take care of yourself while you're doing it and angie uh anything else you'd like to add to what we will talk about sounds like a great great focus <laughs> sounds like a plan all right well we will do that and we will be back um, with Angie Swetland, and I know you by heart, navigating the dementia journey right after this break. Stay with us. We're Bobo Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Now that school has ended and summer begins, it's time to think about what your children and you will be eating. It's easy to buy junk food snacks for them that they love, but I want to urge you to think again and use this opportunity of new schedules to eliminate or at least drastically reduce your family's consumption of junk food. Trans fats, sodium, hidden calories, genetically modified ingredients are all good reasons to give up processed junk food. There are also phosphates, which are the food additives that doctors are linking to higher rates of weak bones, chronic kidney disease, and premature death. Do you want to eat that? Choose instead to eat fresh fruit like nectarines, peaches, bananas, and berries. Nuts are delicious, as are fresh vegetables and whole grains. Don't settle for junk food. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Like us on Facebook. It's words you never heard. Even though most everyone says they are happy to have a job, the latest studies show 15% of employees arrive late to work at least once or twice a week. Of course, there's always a good excuse for being late, right? And employers have heard them all. When it comes to reasons for being late, most of the teradiddles or little white lies employees impart to their bosses involve getting stuck in traffic, accidentally oversleeping, or bad weather. Then again, some excuses are a little more inventive, like the cat that had the hiccups, or I thought I had won the lottery. Talk about a lot of flapdoodle. One particular employee who was interviewed in the study said that if he arrives late for work, 
He always makes up for fun leaving early. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back. On the break, Angie and I were talking about any number of ways we could go in this last segment, but I think we want to talk to you about ambiguous loss, the concept of ambiguous loss, because some will have heard of this and some will not. And it, it, it actually fits both the person with dementia and the caregiver because you, you are aware that things are changing, or most people are aware uh, in the early stages of, of the loss. And ambiguous loss accumulates and needs to be discussed. So Angie, take it away. Well, I'm, I'm reminded of a book by Pauline Boss um, called Ambiguous Loss, which mm -hmm. is a reference for anyone who's interested. Um, but ambiguous loss is... A, is the most famous case that most Minnesotans are aware of um, was Jacob Wetterling, a young boy who went missing at the age of 11 and um, his body was discovered 35 years later, Ugh. something like that. Um, and all that time, um, his mother, Patty Wetterling, uh, was looking for him as anybody would. Mm -hmm. But there's so many other uh, types of ambiguous loss, missing in action. Those who are missing in action yes. uh, for, our, for our veterans' families, mm -hmm. that's an ambiguous loss. You just keep hoping that that somehow these people will be found. But mm -hmm. there's also the gradual loss of someone over a period of time um, that just drags you down. And you're always watching for... Um, any slight sign of recovery or glimpse of the old person that mm -hmm. you used to know. And then, um, but you're seeing things ebb away. Um, you're seeing their abilities ebb away, their self-control ebb away, their memories ebb away. So what can you do to help yourself when you are in the midst of experiencing ambiguous loss? Um, Again, one of the things we need to talk about is remembering that you are uh, a valuable person. And if you don't take care of yourself, you will not be there for the person who needs you. Mm -hmm. So again, respite and support and remember that you're not alone. You are not alone. There are possibly more people going through what you're going through than people who aren't. Mm -hmm. um, it, it is large and we need to talk about it. And we need to talk about diseases that affect the brain. The brain is an organ mm -hmm. in our body. And we don't mind talking about heart failure. We don't mind talking about uh, COPD, cardiopulmonary disease. We right. don't mind talking about any kidney failure, whatever. But brain failure is a very difficult topic for all of us. And it it needs to be brought forward. And, and we can be talking about depression. We can be talking about, uh, you know, post-traumatic stress syndrome. We can be talking about Alzheimer's disease. It, mm -hmm. it, 
it doesn't matter. We need to all be acknowledging that this is a very difficult thing and we are losing someone that we love and they are losing themselves. Yes. And, and how do we help with that? There, there are a number of things that some people do journaling. Um, some people, um, volunteer for their local Alzheimer's association. Some people participate in, um, drug trials, um, Mm-hmm. And and uh, any way to find yourself moving forward in positivity um, and any way that you can find to give yourself respite. And that doesn't always mean bringing a respite volunteer in. It can mean finding ways um, when your loved one is sleeping or when they're quiet for a bit to take some time for yourself mm-hmm. and not consider that selfish. You know, years ago, when I would mention self-care, when I was working with my veteran families, they would big eye roll. That has changed. People have recognized the importance of self-care, and COVID actually brought that to the fore. Because if you did not take care of yourself, there were people who did not have coping tools, did not know what to do, did not know how to act and behave, and they, they fell into poor habits and things that did not serve them well. But Self, self-respite and self-care are now acknowledged as so very valuable. And I think also within families, it's difficult sometimes because one may be a primary caregiver. Um, the spouse was the primary caregiver. Then it shifts. Um, it, it needs to shift at some time so that people can share the load. Um, but that can be very hard, too. Because we like feeling we're in control, but we're not in control. And once we realize that on a, on a grander level, um, that does let some people off the hook. I happen to be a person of faith, so I recognize that I'm not in control. And I think that helps, and it helps families who, who agree with that outlook, but not everyone does. Well, well no, and, that, and that's, that's very true. So... So how do you help individuals who don't, who don't have faith to turn to mm-hmm. it? It is harder. I, I confess um, that individuals do need to recognize their own needs or they will be lost before their loved one. And I cannot tell you how many times I have seen that or how many times mom has a heart attack mm-hmm. and kids come home and actually have to help dad for mm-hmm. a day or two or a week. And while they're there, they say to themselves, oh my gosh, he can't be left alone overnight. And then all of a sudden they realize, oh my gosh, he can't be left alone for a half an hour, for five minutes. Mm-hmm. And they had no idea because mom and dad Covered. are a unit. Mm-hmm. They're a unit, right? Yes. <laughs> and and often he has the legs and she has the brains or vice versa. And they <laughs> well function, put. They function as a unit and they're doing fine. But nobody, nobody realizes until very late often how much stress that caregiver is under. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we really have to focus on our caregivers and give them the tools they need 
to continue to be the caregiver. Sometimes that does mean that your loved one has to move. Sometimes you can bring supports into the home. It's, it's individual. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends on all kinds of resources, <laughs> emotional, physical, financial, mm-hmm. um, what decision you're going to land on there. Um, but taking care of the mental well-being of the caregiver is simply paramount. I do think that as more and more cases, as our population ages and more and more people are being diagnosed with dementia, Alzheimer's and related conditions, that there is less of a stigma than there may have been in my grandmother's era, for example. And I would hope that would be the case because we're finding that whether it's anxiety or suicidality uh, or dementia or brain diseases, people are talking more about them, which is a help. It, it's, a, it's a tremendous help. And we have to remember that our elders, however, are often of a generation, and pardon me for, um, for using gender stereotypes here, but I've heard it so often The husband says, I promised, I promised till death do us part. I promised Mm -hmm. I'm going to take care of her. That's my job. Mm -hmm. And the woman says, well, I can't ask my kids. They have their own lives. Mm -hmm. They have their own lives to live. So Mm. both ways, people are protecting other people who often want to help. And would help, given the opportunity or simply the ask. Mm -hmm. It's hard for people to ask for help, I believe. And I want to make sure before we go that we give our readers, our readers, our listeners, uh, ways to read your book. I'll put the link in the show notes for the book. But they can find out more information at your website, which is DementiaHeart.com. Just like it sounds, DementiaHeart.com. And may I say that you have such a heart for this work. It comes through in every word you write, but everything you've said today as well. Because I think we're all looking for ways we can help in these difficult situations. But everyone's going through something. And in a world where you can be anything, as they say in the uh, Facebook meme, be kind. And you have exemplified that in our discussion today. And thank you. Is there anything that we missed that you want to make sure that we talk about? Because we talked about body, mind, and spirit and keeping the sparks alive. Uh, We talked about catastrophic reactions, ambiguous loss, researching the strengths. I mean, these are wonderful tools for people. Thank you so much. Did we miss anything that you'd like to make sure we have? I don't think so. I just, um, I just want to make sure that uh, listeners honor themselves Mm. um, and give themselves a big pat on the back for all they do. And remember they're not alone. They're not alone, but this is a a wonderful new resource. And again, you can find out Angie's 
um, more information about Angie at DementiaHeart.com. Again, I'll put the link to her book. Very short, sweet, and accessible to read. And uh, again, we'll, we'll end with, to love someone is to learn their song and sing it to them when they have forgotten. Angie, thank you so much for your time and wisdom today. You've touched hearts. Well, thank you for having me. A pleasure. Make it a good week. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for tuning in today. You can find more shows at wisehealthforwomenradio.com.